It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay. Recording has started. Recorded live. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you were listening to the VMR Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 658. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my regular co-host, Matt Longeth. Today is Wednesday, August 30th, 2023. Matt, how are you doing today? Eric, I am well. We are one week, believe it or not, post-Explore already. And heading into now what I will call more of the Explore season, as we have other events that are coming out there around the globe, and of course, Barcelona. But one of the things that I heard out of Explore as we were talking to both customers and partners and members of the BU is where we're at and where we're headed with NSX and all of its uh, platforms and capabilities, and also its integration out there with threat protection and just the, the modern adaptation of where we're taking the NSX platform. And with that today, we have Thor Draper, who is a principal director over at Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, to talk about how a partner is adapting with NSX and taking that out in the field and applying it to customers' uh, individual situations to help them present a better security posture. But before, sir, we get to all of that, my favorite questions, how are you? How are things out there on the West Coast? And maybe most importantly, what is the color of the bay? Let me tell you, I'm doing great, Matt. I'm recovering from an amazing uh, explorer in Vegas. I got to say, I enjoyed everything about that show. I think it was one of the best shows I'd been to, right? Like the, the color, the hotel, the integration, the music, the food was okay. It was hot meals, everything come together. And then, of course, the community booth was just booming the whole time between the code sessions, spring one sessions. I think we had a great venue, right? Yeah, V Brown really sessions. did. Yeah. I, I personally preferred it where, where we had been in Vegas in the past. I think it set itself up well, and attendance was was great through the community both of the couple of times that I was over there. Yeah, it was it was it was one of the best I can remember, right? So really enjoyed seeing everybody and just doing the code labs and all the stuff that was going on. A lot of fun. California is warm. It has been in the upper 80s, so it is hot, clear, classic. End of August. Uh, can't complain. And the color of the bay is just a a nice smooth turquoise dark green right how do you say turquoise dark green well the the bay is shallow so it's only like five or five feet deep but it wants to be turquoise but then because it gets you know spun up with mud it, it ends up being like a darker green so uh, but it's a beautiful day in california uh warm sunny and nice and we'll come into september i'm sure we're going to get a little bit of rain all the people out there that have hurricanes everywhere i feel bad for them because uh, florida's getting one they've had them floating around all over the place so uh, we had one a couple 
weeks ago that came through up through Vegas. We got some rain in Vegas. We had a river running through uh, the the main strip that day. A couple of people drowned from the from some people people the homeless people that live under the rain shelters. It was it was kind of brutal. We were out there. It was it was crazy crazy weather. Excited to be planning. Uh, explore europe uh, we're going to have very similar we're talking about the same you know code booth code labs uh v brown bag will be in europe so they got some sponsorships so we'll have community sessions uh don't think we'll have the coffee bar but we are going to do a hackathon and we are going to do a expert party so should be uh should be a busy time in europe come november so excited about that as well um yeah, and also uh, our director, Thor, the, the principal director from Booz Allen, Thor, is here. So well, why don't we get started? Thor, we always do it as a community podcast. We get started asking you, like, tell us a little bit about your career arc. How did you get here on camera with us? Um, and what what's in your background there? Look, your set looks really cool, good. You know, if you want to see what Thor looks like, you can go over to uh, youtube.com slash vbarbecue and check us out. We live stream there. But uh, Thor, give us a little bit of uh, your career arc. How did you get where you are before we get into NSX? Sure. It's, um, you know, it's kind of funny because as my son tells me, every time I say it's a fairly unique career arc, he says everybody tells him that it's a unique career arc. <laughs> but uh, I do have a little bit of an interesting history, everything from, you know, doing work in the Panama Canal of uh, South America, you know, hmm. doing, doing work on uh, uh, maritime electronics. So sitting on ships and working on radios and, and ra radars and uh, RF technology. So a lot of maritime stuff with some maritime or some aviation electronics uh, mixed into that, you know, helicopters and other things, but then moving into um, kind of the mainframe world, you might say with a uh, project viable, which was a, uh, an army initiative at the time, the largest contract issued uh, to basically modernize the, uh, the military. So I got to kind of work in Panama with EDS. Uh, you know, I was working for a company called Motorola, but we were, we were supporting EDS. So we got, I got exposure to all the mainframe things. And then I moved to the U S uh, and ended up working in the financial sector in the banking side. And, you know, one of my claims to fame, I guess, is the early installation of the first token ring environments uh, within within that space. Uh, you know, so a lot of SNA, SDLC, and then 3270, then token ring with that. And then as, as um, you know, as I moved through my financial side, working for Lehman, working for uh, my own contracting firm, and then ultimately make my way down to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I am now, uh, Nations Bank get to deal with, you know, merging of lots of companies and, and questions like, do we think this NSX, I mean, this IP thing is going to be a thing <laughs> early on in my career? So little exposure, everything from large scale system design. I ran a lot of lab facilities within uh, the bank infrastructure, testing every technology you can imagine. So it gave me a very nice breadth of experience. And then now, you know, working with Booz Allen for the past uh, 11 years, I had a little stint in the middle of that with a company called Symbol, who was bought by Motorola. Uh, so I got a lot of industry exposure there from, uh, you know, different technologies within transportation, logistics, you name it, you know, energy, whatever, you know, anybody who used scanners, Wi-Fi, et cetera. So, yeah, we're now working with Booz Allen for the past 11 years. I've been with them. Um, you know, ultimately reaching the position that I'm in right now. I run a capability within Booz Allen. You know, there's multiple capabilities, but the one that I'm focusing on is called Enterprise IT. Uh, you know, yeah, it's a very, uh, not a very clear name, but, but what it really means is enterprise hardening. Uh, it talks about zero trust architectures, you know, and also works, uh, also looks at the whole uh, vulnerability management and attack surface reduction. So, you know, I like to describe it as all the stuff in the middle. 
All right. Before Matt jumps in here, because I know he's biting, I got a comment on your on your history. The aviation uh -huh. electronics back in the day, that this is just a fascinating world. And yes. my one thought of this is that the connectors they used, right, in the aviation things where you got these plugs with the screw-ons that they can't release. Yeah. And, no, like, no. and and I was yeah. always in awe of those until I eventually yeah. learned electronics. And I realized that some of these guys only had like five pins in there, and that's all they were. They they were just they looked amazing, these massive things that like and you, oh my god, what are they doing there? And then you realize yeah. there's there's only four wires, and they're all of that is just a guarantee that those gold pins never disconnect, right? Because aviation is like that, right? You have to yeah, it it's it's amazing when you look at that from an aviation perspective. The big connectors are you know a little bit idiot proof, you know, make sure you're plugging them together and not right. hitting the wrong pins. And then the other one is you know, that if you have dust or dirt, that it won't interfere with those connections. So, you know, a lot of it has a, you know, military background, yeah, right? Of course, if you look right, at some of the yeah. V.35 connectors and things like that, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I see your backdrop does have a little of your history. I was, look, I was listening to your his, history and looking at your backdrop. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there you go. There it is. There's this the, the disc. There's, you know, you were in the mainframe days, right? Right. I'm surprised you don't have punch cards somewhere, a stack of chaff I or something. I actually do have uh, a box. I, I, was, I was like, had I realized that I would have brought out, uh, you know, I even have a bus and tag connector, you know, so from the old mainframe side. So that's, uh, I love showing that because you, you take a bus and tag and then you highlight it with the fiber optic cable and you say look what replaced this right, right. <laughs> yeah yeah good career good good fun to, to hear that that career yeah. arc so we're not to go down too far a rabbit hole but what airframes did you work on uh well it was funny it's like Hughes, a lot of helicopters Hughes 500s you know um uh, some bell helicopters because uh, the work that i was doing down in panama my my father had a marine electronics company so you know we got i got to transit the canal multiple times on on board ships uh, but we also did a lot of work with the tuna fleets. So out of San Diego, a lot of the tuna fleets, which is if you ever seen a tuna boat, as they call it. But, you know, do you call a boat a boat when it has a skiff on it? That <laughs> that's another boat. Uh, I think that's a categorization. It's a ship. Uh, but they uh, they are like electronic. You, know, you would think that they're you know Russian trawlers that are electronic surveillance. But the competition was so uh, deep there that they had, uh, you know, location finders, they had directional finders, they had all kinds of sonars and radars. And of course, they would mount a, or land a helicopter on the, uh, basically on the on, uh, on top of the ship on the, what am I, on the bridge, right? So they had a helicopter deck on top of the bridge where, you know, we, they would fly off of either the huge 500s or the bell helicopter. Yeah, so we would be 500 perfect to just land up on a yeah, bridge. The little, the little birds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I got to fly on those and, you know, and I also did a little bit of, you know, my father also, uh, you know, took me up to a mine, a copper mine in, in Panama because they're working out there. So we got to fly in an old, uh, I would say World uh, World War II, one of those double-decker Hughes, I think it's Hughes helicopter. But the, the note there is I was laying on top of boxes of dynamite taking pictures outside because they were transporting dynamite. So at the time, it didn't seem like a big deal, but... <laughs> All right. Well, I, forgive the transition here. No, but wait, wait, Matt, I got... about. 
Man, I got it. Before you do the transition, because now you've dug okay. down into the rat hole, I got to ask Thor, do you have a helicopter f- hanging anywhere in your office, right? Because that is the, the other yeah. commonality I've seen with these guys. Is that they, they always have like a helicopter hanging somewhere. Or your well, your light fan has actually got bl- helicopter blades yeah. on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, funny is I have some helicopter toys not out right now. Uh, you know, I have a, a, an old fighter jet up there, but our fighter uh, prop, you know, the the twin engine but no not right now i'm, I'm still kind of a, it's funny it's uh you know you notice the pegboard behind me we're, we're i kept trying to figure out what i wanted to put up there and uh my daughter had a good idea she says hey what about this pegboard and i go great because now i can move things around you know uh, eventually i was debating right. putting a packet you know i was going to show some data flow through leds but I, i'm not there yet <laughs> i have invested all, right. all the time matt i'll give it back to you now <laughs> okay, well, th- this is going to be the transition of all transitions. But if we think about that fishing trawler, right, and all yep. of the information they have out there for the depth gauge, sonar, radar, uh, old logbooks, and whatnot, mm-hmm. I think about that and the capacity of perhaps a partner or that consultant of the tools yep. that we use out there to measure the customer's environment as far as that app rationalization process of, of mm-hmm. onboarding. Mm-hmm. So it's odd uh, to say or that, that we have the opportunity to have a partner on here. So I, I'd like to, to talk at, at a high level yep. of where one, how do you get engaged with these particular customers? Are, are you coming on board to at post-security incident or are they taking a more proactive approach or has Booz Allen been a long-term partner with them and now they're adapting that strategy to enable more of some of these advanced capabilities yeah. that we have in NSX or perhaps a, a mixture of, of all all of that and then how do you go about that process tell us about that that story of walking through these large organizations and understanding what's deployed, what's out there, and somehow putting that in into a, a set for for IDS and IPS, and then and, and sifting through the process. Yeah, let me. So let, let me level set a little bit. You know, so one of the interesting parts, um, you know, for those of you who know who Booz Allen is or you know have heard of them. Uh, you know, typically you've heard of us, you know, in very uh, scant terms, but, uh, you know, we do have some some uh, notorious uh, uh, <laughs> press, but, you know, that comes from the federal side. But Booz Allen is, is really kind of, uh, uh, you know, they're a um, large scale um, federal client, right? So for me, I'm on the commercial side. So, you know, I kind of look at it as, you know, we're a little bit of a startup with a nice, you know, uh, really good funding behind us. But Booz Allen has a lot of very sophisticated uh, capabilities that we do as an overall company. You know, we do a lot of work with the federal government. We do a lot of work with three-letter agencies. We do a lot of work with, you know, other departments within there. But, you know, and a lot of really good work that people rarely hear about. But you know, but it's it's interesting once you're in it. On the commercial side, we cover, you know, uh, any commercial client. You know, we don't really do state and local. That's that's another part of Booz Allen. So really broken up into three entities, the federal, the state and local, and then the commercial side. But, you know, when you take a look at all the activities we do, we we have a lot of relationships, right? We have a lot of uh, companies that we work with or organizations. Um, one of the drivers that you see a lot today with, with companies is called CMMC. 
this is involving almost every commercial client that's out there that does any kind of business with the uh, with Booz Allen. But in general, you know that so that's an area that we actually do assessments and also help clients get into that space. So that's an entry. Walk way. us through the, the the acronym there for. Uh, yeah, the CMMC, um, and I'm going to remember what the acronym stands for. And give me one second. I'll look it up here. Um, yeah, CMMC, it's basically the um, yeah Cyber Maturity Model Certification, right? That That is a DOD or, um, you know, a government requirement. So any company that's doing business with a DOD, selling pencils, doing selling tanks, selling, you know, you, you name it, they have to meet the CMMC compliance and it's in the process of becoming finalized that if you don't get certified, you will not be able to do business with the federal government. It, does that apply for both primes and their subs or just primes on delivery vehicles? Um, both. Uh, I think the primes are responsible. I mean, so the, the issue there is what they're trying to do is, you know, protect the data, right? You know, that's the challenge that you have today is, you know, even, you know, I use the analogy uh, as I think a few years ago, somebody got arrested for, uh, espionage because they were leaking the information that they were sending supplies over to a carrier for a specific date, you know, which was an indicator that that carrier was getting ready to go out on a mission, right? And they're like, hey, you don't want to be leaking this information. Or, you know, one of the clients we work with makes um, makes uh, some equipment for the military and the the bomb, right? The, the bill of material for that product tells you all the components. Not that, that bomb, the other bomb. Yeah, the other bomb, the good bomb, yeah. I'll tell you a funny story about that one, but yeah, it will tell you what the product is and where it's going, right? So if suddenly you see a mass sure. order of equipment going to a specific base, you can go, uh-oh, there's something about to happen. So CMMC is kind of wrapping that and saying, you know, it's really what we're talking about today in general with zero trust. It's it's basically ensuring that data is being protected and you're not, you know, letting it uh, escape and you're encrypting it and you're, you know, uh, doing all the things you need to do to make sure that it isn't uh, released. So we, we are one of the early um, uh, assessors that are allowed to do that. Uh, there's others now in the market, but you know, that's a very big piece that's happening because it affects so many companies, but in general, Booz Allen, uh, especially on the commercial side, we are a, you know, we are a, a, a cyber centerline company. In some degree, people look at it kind of boutique-ish in the sense that we're not all things to all people. We focus on cybersecurity, right, within that within that environment. And typically, we work with the CISOs of the world, right? You know, we work at the C-level, but mostly at the CISOs, typically large companies, uh, you know, because of, uh, you know, just the activities that we do. But with our partnership, you know, with uh, VMware, we, you know, we decided to get into a partnership with VMware around the advisory role. So this is an area where we're, we want to go in jointly with VMware to clients and be able to translate to the IT or CIO, right, the cyber requirements that typically, and I say this, and I'm looking for a great way to say it, but, you know, IT doesn't typically focus strictly on security. Right. If you think about it, you know, they're really more about the technological features, capabilities, you know, what do they get out of it? They're not running around like the CISO in many cases, you know, and I, and I know it's a little bit of an unfair statement, but, you know, it seems to be more that it's more about the technology and the capability than it is about, you know, the cyber aspect. The CISO is right? the brevity, right? And, yeah. And the, the, the CIO's business drivers, if you will. Right. Right. So maybe that's the wrong to analogy. That yeah. <laughs> But, but you're right, Matt, that, that's the bridge that I think Booz Allen is looking to be able to establish, you know, and of course, 
you know, the, the question there is, what does Booz Allen get out of it? And what does VMware get out of it? You know, right. That's, you know, I, I like to call it the show me the money slide, right? It's that, talk to me how we're all making money in this process and we're, you know, serving the clients and providing them with value, right? Because that, that's really what we're at the end of the day focusing on. So, you know, that in the arena is, you know, we help kind of evangelize the message that, that VMware has. You know, I like to say, you know, VMware is a little bit of a victim of its own success. You know, most of the purchasing is happening at the IT level, which once again, you start telling them about NSX, NSX security, and, and they're like, oh, okay, great. You know, I don't run the firewalls and you know, I don't want some, you know, I don't want the security team messing on my platform, whatever, right? Those, those are areas that I see all the time. And then on the CISO side, they have no idea what was purchased, right? And we're saying, you know, you're buying all of these other products to do the very thing you already have in place, right? Leveraging the capability of what your existing environment is. And if you think about today's market and, uh, you know, the challenges with the, you know, budgets that people are having, that is an area that I think, uh, you know, waking them up or teaching them what that is, is going to be, you know, very beneficial for everybody involved. Right. And it's already on the wire, so to say, right? We're not talking yes. about agents or additional trap monitoring or, or right. and then all of the, let's call it the complexity that might go along with a, a layered solution. Yep. yep. And we're and we're seeing just kind of get back to your original question there is, you know, so one of the things that we're seeing, I literally was in a workshop here about uh, less than a week ago or last week. Um, and one of the drivers there was reducing complexity, simplifying the environment, right? Looking at what tools you already have that you can leverage. So that that message, you know, I'm, I've been hearing more and more, which is cool, because that's exactly what I think is important to, to look at. And then the other one, you know, how do we engage? So yeah, Booz Allen, you know, we do incident response, obviously. We do, we have retainers, we, you know, we send people, you know, uh, I, I mentioned, uh, well, not, you know, I was involved for three years on the NotPetya attack, you know, that was, I was there day two. Booz Allen was there, I think, day one. Um, but we we brought 100 cyber practitioners to this client in a matter of one or two days, right? So that was very unique, you know, in that sense. So we we basically didn't have 100 there for the, for the three-year period, but, you know, like one of my areas of focus was to harden their uh, industrial control base, their plants, right? So that, that was uh, an interesting activity. Um, just to kind of jump back in my former life at Bank of America or a nation bank back in the days, we had developed what we called application network review, which was a technology that we basically said, let's take on a data analyzer, let's bring in an application and have them walk through everything, you know, logging in, logging out, adding records, removing records, updating records, et cetera, to give us a picture of what this app actually did. So it, it, ironically, this is the early application characterization, right? But but we did this in our labs. We had a full mock-up of our network. And when I say full mock-up, uh, you would be jealous of the environment. I mean, we literally had every piece of equipment and all kinds of latency generators, you name it, uh, that, that most people done the right way. Yeah, and, and, hey, I was I, I was like, hey, I could have made money just selling access to our facility, but but it was it was pretty impressive, uh, if I must say so. Um, but that was like the early days. And, and I can tell you with the NotPetya event, when we went to the client, so we were brought in because of this IR event. We'd been there before with some other stuff, but we had actually recommended to them for a cyber center implementation. And they were going to go with another firm. But when the event hit, they said, nope, 
we got to bring in Booz Allen. So that's, you know, we were able to spin up a lot of practitioners that, you know, others were challenged to bring in, which is, you know, which is nice because of our federal presence. You know, we have over 7,000 plus, uh, you know, cyber practitioners and, and, and it's, and, you know, I, I can barely do it justice, but it, it's a very impressive cadre of folks that, you know, within Booz Allen's, uh, you know, cadre of folks that we have available to us. But one of the things we did with them is, you know, we, we were given the directive like, hey, we need to protect this plant. Why don't we sever it from the rest of the network and let it run on its own? And we said, hang on, let us uh, let us take a look at it. Right. You know, and what we did is we went in and basically looked at firewall logs, you know, pulled Splunk data. You know, so it was a very manual, tedious process. Right. Because the tools, at least three or four years ago, really weren't out there for you to get data flows. Right. So you had to what I call live off the land to get data. Right. So that that aspect gave us, you know, we were able to identify. I, I think of, of, of a dry copper pair. Right. Yeah. And you're sitting there and you're, you're literally yes. decoding it at layer one yes. uh, of what's yes. coming across. I mean, oh, the, the, yes. the intelligence tools that we had when this started was. Oh, terrible. Terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's and, and the best part, you know, we, we go in, we say, you know, what do you have? You know, so we have to discover because the last thing that I can do is walk in and say, install this. Right. You know, everything is down. You have 40,000 40, systems that are on the ground dead. Right. You know, the, the security guard can't even look me up. He just points in the back and says they're in the back. And, uh, you know, the video cameras, their IP telephony, everything off the air. So, you know, last thing they're listening to me or wanting me to tell them is, you know, install some new software. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so we had to do that. But one of the things that I think is interesting in that aspect is we were able to look at the plant and see the communication patterns over the past six months to a year. We started at three, moved to six, um, but the the amount of data is massive, right? So we had to go through and analyze source destination pairs, but what we were doing was application characterization. We were understanding all the connections that were needed for that environment. And we realized that 80% of the data for that plant existed outside of that plant. So if you were to cut it off, the plant would not work. So looking at that, we found, you know, we found the origins or not. We found one of the origins from from the Ukraine, a Windows 7 workstation, you know, and and we saw this communication pair happening. It turned out there were, you know, there was some um, uh, if you look at what is it? uh, The Windows KMS server. So, you know, when you have Outlook or Windows, there's a periodic check to see if you're licensed. Well, this was happening every seven days. And if you look at NotPetya, it would inspect the ARP cache of that workstation. And when it saw a new network, it would attack, you know, connect to it. So we observed that, captured it. I have it, you know, have it all, you know, uh, <laughs> captured. And, you know, being able to show the client this kind of traffic blew their minds because they had no idea. They had acquisitions, they had plants talking to plants. They had, you know, we had, you know, uh, server or workstations from uh, Asia, you know, uh, authenticating on Active Directory servers in the U.S. So, so it was just a hot mess, yeah, right? Where are you pulling your DHCP requests from? Yeah, <laughs> well, and that that was the fun part, right? You know, we found, uh, you know, so the KMS one, which was interesting, you know, when we went down and said, hey, how many of these KMS servers do you actually have? They told us they had two, but we found seven. And the funny part is there were seven rules or the seven were captured in the firewall rules. And why? Because whoever did the rules just looked at KMS and added them, didn't question if they belonged or not, just added them. So it it just it highlights, you know, I'm a huge data flow person when it comes to security. Understanding data flows to me is critical. So that that kind of is what led me into the NSX world. 
uh, you know, having the discussions and, you know, yeah, and, you know, I, I, I had, you know, I've worked with VMware for a very, very long time, you know, mostly from the infrastructure side, not really, you know, looking at NSX that much, but then look, you know, micro segmentation to me is always a bad word, you know, because define micro to me, you know, but, you know, but as we start going through this event that I'm working with the client here um, uh, currently, you know, one of the remediation efforts was disable WMI, disable PowerShell, disable WinRM, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, these are all things that are problematic because they're utilized by tools, by, you know, SCCM and other things. And then not to mention they want um, to get rid of hidden shares and um, what was the other one? Uh, oh, the WinRM. So we, we basically started looking at logging and they wanted to use GPOs. And I'm looking at this going, you've got 17,000 servers right, all over the world, and you're not going to do one GPO, you're going to have to do regional GPO. I go, this is just not really manageable, right? It's, this is not the approach. So, you know, we're talking with the client about there are better ways, right? And and one of the better ways is looking at what NSX offers, right? And especially, you know, the two aspects that I looked at was, you know, NSX security, uh, but then looking at, I guess, what was formerly called Verney, which is now, what is it, ARIA now? or uh, ARIA Operations. Yeah, Aria and and what what really got me excited was the um, NSX intelligence, right? You know, because when I look at that, and then you throw your advanced threat protection that mix together, I mean, wow, it's powerful, right? You know, now I'm not talking how much it costs, but I'm talking about the power that you're getting from that platform, right? You know, and then the client that I'm working with just here now, one of their challenges were, you know, that. Um, they deployed a tool, you know, onto their systems, an agents-based tool, and they cranked up the monitoring to as much as possible. And what it ended up happening, it broke production lines, it slowed down systems, all the things you are worried about, it did, right? So the client's a little bit, you know, um, a little bit over agents. So, you know, they were looking at some other, you know, networking-based, uh, you know, technologies that are out there. But, but I'm like, look, to deploy agents on 17,000 platforms versus a thousand platforms, you know, where are you going to get the quickest bang for your bucks? You know, the thousand platforms, a thousand ESXIs servicing those 17,000 is going to provide a huge buy down and risk. And then enabling, you know, the, the IDP or IDS uh, components along with, you know, the advanced threat protection, you know, now I, I, I get this massive picture of where things are going you know, I can turn them on without impacting the data flow. I don't, you know, I don't enforce immediately. I start like my process by learning, you know, and then, you know, working with the client, it, it is, you know, kind of going back to how I got into it. You know, that's one pathway, that IR part. The other one is some clients will say, hey, come and do an analysis of our network. But, you know, from the booth side, we're trying to break more into the IT side to help them better understand what they have while educating the, the CISO side. And, you know, that's where VMware for us plays a big role. You know, your relationships typically rely on the CIO side or the IT side of the business and, you know, are trying to break into the CISO side. So it's a, a nice little marriage of, of convenience, right? <laughs> we both have something to offer. <laughs> I think about you. So your earlier point was, you know, for IDS and IPS of where that was, right? Mm -hmm. And I think about where we're, we're, we've come now within, especially with this, the, the last Explore event, of how critical machine learning and in somewhat artificial intelligence is playing into all of this. Whereas you know, 
initial iterations of IDS and IPS, I can I just have this mental image in my head mm-hmm. of a 24-7 sock, right? Yeah. That is just there sitting on Splunk logs that's occasionally might just look at something and see, well, that might look at, at abnormal or it might not. And but we have no way. Yeah. So how how have you seen this from, from an operalization perspective? where that ml background where we have the, the that data lake if you will i use that over from the uc side or where we're at with you know yep. data intelligence and our intelligence yep. platform but how that applies now on the nsx side with yep. intelligence and then where atp can make actions on those items if we should choose but how has that improved this how how is that not only from let's call it uh, immediately boots on the ground day two ops yep but then from you know the CISO level where now we're we maybe perhaps need to have less um let's call it sock operators to make those decisions right or yep. and the decisions that are, that are being made are less business impactful Yep. No, absolutely. I, th- I think one of the things, uh, and just kind of cover your question there, a couple of things ran through my mind when you were saying that is, you know, so Booz Allen, um, I'd like to say somewhat coined the Cyber Fusion Center term probably, you know, nine years ago, right? And, you know, where did it come from, right? Cyber Fusion is really kind of, if you think about the fusion centers with, with you know, police, fire, rescue in, in, a, in a major event. So they kind of coined that term because they were bringing all the, the, the components together. And, you know, over time, what everybody's realized is, you know, it's very hard to get really good, skilled cyber professionals into these environments. So there's challenges, right? You know, that Booz Allen, for example, ends up in many cases supporting these. You know, we're not a staffing company. You know, we'll help you spin up an environment and kind of help that transition. But sometimes that transition is four or five years, which is crazy. But that, you know, that's just the reality of things. So you're definitely starting to see a lot more, you know, the look towards how can I automate, how can I alleviate, and 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 we've actually, you know, large auto auto manufacturer that you know keeps every piece of data they have ever received from a log in Splunk. So they have a massive database, right? You would think about it, it's crazy. They hired us uh, several years ago to help them curate that data or to better, you know, uh, clean up that data. So we developed the whole cloud infrastructure. Uh, analytics uh, system that what we do is we bring in all that data into our analytics, we parse through it, do some ML on it, and then we pass on to the Splunk the relevant data and or to the to the you know the the cyber the the, the security operations center right or the cyber fusion center that they have. So that is started right. We're seeing that. So when you look at when I look at you know what was happening. Within so, so, for example, within NSX intelligence, that's one of the trigger points. I went, oh, wait a minute. You know, having brute force done the work of, you know, looking at source destination pairs, talking to the individuals, understanding what the app is doing, you know, all of these things, having something that can learn that automatically is huge. Right. It's extremely powerful. And then this all to me and, you know, not to kind of tout my zero trust side, but this is what it, you know, it pulls into. People get confused with zero trust, say it's a product. It's a framework. And within that framework are products. Those products, you know, VMware being one of them, will provide significant value in bringing that data. You know, one of the key tenants is visibility. Right. Is seeing what's happening in the infrastructure. That to me is one of the really interesting parts around 
you know, how NSX, uh, ARIA, you know, and, and IDS, IP, you know, their IDS and IDPs and, and, you know, all this, that, that suite of products provide really important data. And the other, the, one other thing I want to make sure I mention because this is a, my, my little personal peeve is I'm calling it cyber curated data, right? One of the challenges we have today is everybody curates the data and says, oh, that's not relevant. You know, that's not a cyber event. You know, okay, bandwidth utilization bursting, no big deal. Now, let's not forward that to an alert, right? That's an IT thing. They can deal with it. Well, talk to Sony Pictures. Ask them about all the movies that were stolen, terabytes of movies. Yeah, you know, and what was happening? You saw a bandwidth spike and you saw stuff going to places that they never send stuff. Nobody paid attention to that, right? So I like to get out of that curated space into the show me all the data, let my analytics work, let me look for those anomalies and start building something more. I'm going to make an aviation analogy, right? Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if the more of a modern black box that you have on board an aircraft and the more monitoring points that you have, Right. And when you're in that post crash analysis, mm -hmm. the easier it is for an investigator. Yep. So where we might never think that bandwidth might be part of that overall equation. Yep. It's one of those things that if we can throw the more data that we can throw into the analysis set and have available yes. for that for that operator or ML set, yes. in my opinion, the better. No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that, and that's why, you know, it's funny because when we talk. Uh, data lakes, people, you know, sometimes they go, oh, you know, but it, the reality is if you have this data, you know, it's a lot easier to have a bunch of data and then to parse through it and figure out what you need versus needing something that you don't have, right? So I'd rather see that data go there and let me figure out what is relevant, not relevant or throw out, you know, but it's, uh, you know, it's definitely- That's a mentality mind, mind shift, right? Because yeah. I could understand, right, from, from the SOC perspective, where we're looking at this is a human first analysis and you have to kind of throw out and obfuscate the data that, that's out there to, to get down to the noise. But as we're throwing, let's call or leading with ML, right. where then now we can process this down to a certain set and then make an objective choice. Yep. And yeah, is there, the, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was, I, I just saw the little comment about zero trust in the cloud. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, yeah, what you're saying is, to me, it's, it's, you know, as, as we say, you know, attackers are for the most part humans, right? And, and ultimately you need a human to kind of realize it. But what ML brings to you is that quicker analysis, that faster assessment, that, you know, weeding out the, the, the noise, right? You know, getting that signal to noise, the more signal, less noise. So that to me is, is really kind of critical that if you have it, um, you know, then then you can you know do some meaningful work with it. Yeah, I, there was a product many years ago, which was ironically called Nixon. <laughs> and what it did was it recorded all the data on the on the DS3 circuit that was coming in. So it literally copied everything. And you could have days, weeks, months, whatever. It's up to you how much storage you put in. But the interesting part was that when you had an event, you could replay and back up and see all that data. Right. So they renamed it, uh, no longer Nixon, but, uh, but the idea is if you think about that from a, a telemetry perspective, if I'm collecting all this data and I'm able to kind of go back and say, oh, I never realized that there were, you know, every zero day to me is what the joke is, right? It's a zero day. Well, why don't we ever catch zero days? Because we're focused on the last attack. We're looking for that signature. We're looking for that behavior, right? 
But if we have analytics and ML, you know, we'll start learning what is normal. And if you think about zero trust, you know, the defense and debt model, but it's the, you know, uh, basically it's, uh, what's, the, what's the thing I'm looking for? It's, um, you know, it's almost like on-demand security. It's just, uh, it's, it gives you, when I log in, it opens up everything I'm allowed to talk to. When I log off, it tears it all down. So dynamically allocating and removing rules. And if you think about it in the NSX world, moving workloads or shutting them down will, you know, enable or disable that kind of connectivity. But it's, to me, it's the point when you start looking at zero trust and what are the enablers, you know, we're never going to be at the, uh, you know, single vendor solution for for all, because that's just not reality, right? There, there's always going to be a mix of vendors. But what you want to do is get out of a vendor as much as possible that can participate in that broader, broader picture. And, you know, when I look at NSX, what, what excites me about that particular platform is the fact that it's it is, platform, yeah, sure. it is, is the fact that it's starting to kind of broaden out, you know, and it's really giving this opportunity to, to inherit a bunch of data that, you know, I would require five or six other tools to do. Like you mentioned placements of a, you know, an IDS. Well, that's always been the fun part. It's great. You buy them, but where are you putting them? What visibility does it really see? You know, and so. How do you post so, it on the endpoint? How do you do life cycling of that endpoint? Right, exactly. So, so that to me is the part that, you know, that I think people need to start understanding. You know, I get it. You know, agents, yes, it's cool. I can get as close as possible, but there's a cost. You know, I, I joke that on my, my Booz Allen laptop, you know, I have, I think, 13 different security agents. And it makes my Mac Pro look like my old MacBook Air. Why? Because it is doing a ton of stuff. You know, it's scanning all kinds of things, you know, and, you know, and my fan runs sometimes for unexplicable reasons. And I know, you know, they're, they're doing a the scan, they're doing this, they're doing that. But, but those are, I, I think, you know, we need to get to the point where it's, um, you know, where it's more kind of ingrained in the overall enterprise, right? You know, so the infrastructure itself needs to kind of do this, you know, I, I used to always push back on the concept of, you know, why does everybody fo focus on the network being the security tool, right? Yeah. When it, you know, network people like this, make the apps. This, tools. <laughs> this, re this reminds me, I, I live in Palo Alto and uh, I'll yeah. up level this a little bit as we come up to the, kind of coming up to the t end of the show, but I make a 50, 14 minutes left. But in Palo Alto, we, we started putting cameras everywhere, right? And everybody freaks out over putting video cameras everywhere. But guess what? Once you get the video cameras there, things got a lot more secure. People, it's very difficult now to come rob a neighborhood because you're on 15 different cameras getting in and out of Palo Alto to going down the streets to neighbors have cameras that are looking out and guess what um, it's great for trackability and it actually ends up with you have AI and ML applied to it you can actually catch things in process right and the reality is that we're using it to keep everything more safe and more secure and it's just such a big deterrent now that you actually see crime rate going down because it's, there's just such a deterrent effect now and i look at data centers and data flow and i i, I kind of apply it the same way right if you have enough infrastructure there to be monitoring and you can apply ai to it you actually just make it not worth doing right and i'm sure there will be some people that are out there you know trying to push the edge but it just makes it hard enough that you're like you know i'm not going to share my hulu account anymore because i'd have to have a vpn over to my friend's house they would get my same ip address the ip address they're using and pretty soon you just realize you know i'm just not going to steal a hulu anymore right and so i look at it the same kind of analogy where 
you know, this stuff is work, but if you put it in place, you know, you eliminate a lot of the threats that would normally be there. So it is interesting. No, absolutely. Um, you know, just kind of looking, following on that point, it's, it's, it's having that visibility, you know, most, most attackers out there, you know, are going to be, you know, the, the defense in depth model, if you think about it, is a series of, of challenges that at some point people give up, right? It, it all depends on how determined you are, you know, and I've, you know, I've long since thought of, you know, if, if someone really wants to hack you, they're going to, right? So what, what is my goal in, in that, in that process? My goal is to, Try to make it as difficult as possible for you to get there. Hopefully, make you noisy in that process. Yeah, risk so risk reward becomes expensive. Right, the risk right. starts and going higher can, and higher. Uh, yep. Yeah, exactly. And then you can turn around and you know, hopefully, I can see what you're trying to get to and protect it. Or you know, if you steal something, then I can find out what it is. You know, I look at the two paradigm shifts in my mind from cybersecurity were uh, NotPetya and Stuxnet. Right. If you think about those two paradigms, you know, Stuxnet very targeted you know, to a very specific set of equipment in a very specific location. I can tell you that we found it. Right. But but we found it, you know, in in U.S. companies, but it didn't detonate because that wasn't the target. Right. Uh, And the other part is when you look at, you know, uh, NotPetya, similar that, you know, it was, you know, it was more of a supply chain attack. But the broad impact of, you know, the companies we were working with were collateral damage to the actual uh, targets, right? So this was a a great example, but their their collateral damage was not just that they ransomware everything, it's the fact that they intended on destroying the data. They never intended on getting the ransom. So, you know, the unimaginable happened, you know, your entire enterprise went off the air, right? You know, in this, in the client, we were with 40,000 systems like that, you know, and ultimately their long-term cost to that was a billion dollars. Right. You know, you have Mirsk who was out and they, they talked about their 300 to 400 million dollar costs for, you know, the remediation effort. You know, so and, and looking at this client, you know, and looking at the work and the amount of people that we're having to bear on to the client and the amount of resources they have to consume, because now we're touching every piece of equipment, having them do things like upgrading from an older version of ESXi to version seven. Right. You know, that is not a trivial event, you know, and then having them do, you know, all kinds of hardening activities in that environment, you know, lockdown modes, uh, you know, using PAM, you know, going into MFA. These are all fairly heavy duty things. Right. So looking at that and saying, hey, how can we turn around and, and leverage that, you know, or leverage other technologies to protect that environment? You know, that's kind of what Zero Trust is talking about, where there's a ton of things within NSX that I can leverage to mitigate. Or, you know, as, as I think the phrase has been, to virtually patch things while I get to the point of being able to patch them, right? Um, but, yeah, and I, I see the comment about the cyber insurance. This client who had the billion-dollar impact, they were in court for years because the the basically the insurance company was trying to get out of paying it because they're saying, no, it was an act of war, Russia to Ukraine, but this wasn't a Ukrainian company. Right. They just happened to have an office that used ME docs, which is their version of TurboTax, which then, you know, hit Maersk, hit, hit a bunch of other companies, uh, you know, that were global. So so the insurance, yeah, it'll help. But, you know, be prepared to fight. Right. You know, and I think one of the things we're, we're doing a lot of work with some of the insurance and legal firms today is they're starting to go, wait a minute. What are you doing? Prove, you know, not just doing this CSF, but mm-hmm. prove you are doing 
cyber work, that you are trying to mitigate an attack. Uh, I had one client recently, which blew my mind. Um, they, uh, they had had a cyber attack. They were remediating and they asked us, you know, to do a couple of things, one of which was to review kind of their overall plans, but the other one was to review their network. So we did a, we did a whole, um, we, you know, we, we went and, and scanned their environment, vulnerability management, looked at their deployment, and we found tons of problems, you know, lots of problems that they were having. They hadn't patched. There was things that would never patch. There were passwords that have never been changed, you know, and we're sitting there going, wow, you know, I, I know you said you had a vulnerability management program, but you know, the evidence does not support that. Right? Yeah. So what did they, you know, we gave them a whole presentation on what they needed to do and how we would help them if they wanted, or we could just kind of get them going. And uh, at the end of that, they said, well, you know, maybe what we need is a, a good IR plan. And I'm like, what? So I reverted to my fire department days. And I said, okay. so I walk in, I see rags everywhere, gasoline, exposed wires, explosives, everything. And what you're asking me for is, where can I put more exit signs in the event that something bad happens? This is, this is where I'm like, uh, I, my response to all this is like, man, uh, when am I retiring? Because this is like, <laughs> it, it is shocking. Uh, it is shocking uh, what you find out, out, out in the market, you know, and it's sometimes a little depressing because people are more focused on the check boxes than they are on the actual remediation. Especially, the especially ISO certification, right? Yeah. can blueprint a bad process yeah. especially yeah, if well, you're in an industry that that is struggling already right you know and now you look at this and you're like wait a minute my whole building needs to be replaced right we got we got termites and everything and the yeah. whole thing's going to collapse and like you're not even sure you can afford next month's paychecks let alone all the work you have to do here it's like this is like yeah. the, you might have the insurance yeah. but from the time that it takes you one to get the money yeah. And two, to build the business back, back up, your competitors yeah. might have blown you out of the water. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and that, you know, and I, I like to say that every client that I've gone to that has been breached, they were PCI certified, right? The certification didn't help them, right? Yeah. You know, it just said that, hey, they went and checked the boxes, but, you know, the boxes are the bare minimum. It's not there's the thing, right? So, there's the acronym out there, career end, uh, ending event. I forget what, you could, what they call it, where it's like, you know, you do something stupid and you get fired because it's like a career limiting move, but it's a career ending event. And some of these are like company ending events, right? Where, you know, it can just, you know, if this really happens to you, you're not going to have a billion dollars to like put it all, all the pieces back together. You're going to sell it for scrap, right? Yeah. yeah. For, for the yeah. listeners that are out there, I, I, Thor had called out that the Maersk um, attack and the recovery from that is a fantastic read mm -hmm. where they found the ADFS copy on, on a domain controller, I think in Africa that was off network yep. and then literally put someone on a plane, a private jet to go and recover that copy and then build the entire domain controller structure for the global enterprise off of that. It's, it's yep. easy to Google. I will put the links out there in the show notes, but it, it's a great yep. read. And just to just to note, they weren't our client. I'm uh, you know I'm very careful about not uh, talking about the client, but that one they were public about what they did, and uh, it is very it is a very good read. I mean, and I can tell you, you know, when you really sit down, and it probably deserves a longer discussion. But if you think about recovery, and that's one of the other things that interests interests me about the DR as a service with the, in a Sixi, is if you think about it, you know, when we got into that place, everything was down. So we have to try to figure out what did we need to bring up first. Now, luckily, their backup system had been encrypted, but not the storage. You know, so it didn't touch the actual backups, which was great, because then we just have to restore the backup system. But even then, the big question became, 
you know, uh, I'm going to have to restore my Active Directory. I'm going to have to, you know, am I going to do SCCM? What am I, you know, which servers am I going to start bringing up? And I can tell right. you when there's, I, I think about that for a runbook perspective, right? If we're looking at agent based, you know, IDS IPS, yeah. that's one. If there is an event, and we have a plan for the contingency where we're doing, let's call it a, a BIOS level wipe, yeah. all the additional complexities then to bring the estate just back to oh, day yeah. zero. Oh, yeah. I, I can tell you with the client, even three years later, there were some machines they had not restored. Right. And, and you know, some of it was nobody asked for it. So therefore we didn't. Um, but, you know, being that they, you know, they they had some regulatory requirements to keep data. So they were keeping them there. But I, I can tell you also three years later, when they did restore a machine, suddenly not Petra tried to kick in again. Right. It was on the backup. Right. Luckily, you know, they brought it up in an isolated environment. But, you know, we try to tell people that from a cyber, you know, so when you think about your DR, right, you're, you, you think about RTOs and RPOs. A cyber event's completely different because you cannot start recovering until you understand what it is that happened, right? Yeah. So that delays that whole beginning until you get a handle. And I can tell you, we did start things up early days, you know, in the NotPetya attack because nobody knew exactly how it was coming or how it was propagating at the time. So we were doing things like disabling WMI, disabling PowerPoint, and then seeing what the impacts were. We're like, okay, great, we can go here. And then somebody complains that they couldn't do something because that was missing. We turn it on and we're like, oh, damn. So we had to really figure all that out. I mean, that was the you yeah, know, How does synthetic lie. testing yeah. that are pulling out of the right. intelligence that we're, we're bringing into the environment yeah. help then to mitigate the risk as far as RTO and RPO times? Yeah. And I, and I, back in those days, I, I coined uh, what I called uh, burst DR, I called it. You know, everybody's like, what is that? I go, well, I want to be able to keep a replica copy in the cloud. And basically, I can burst over to it and run off the replica copy if, if the local copy is bad. And if the replica copy gets blown away, I just restore it and restore it and fix it until I get it running. Well, now with uh, you know VMware's uh, DR as a service, I'm like, damn, they stole my my idea. No, no, yeah. But that that concept to me is very appealing. Uh, you know, also the other term you know, we talk about digital twin. Typically, Booz Allen talks a lot about digital twin around replicating entire military bases, all the infrastructure, and so forth. I was looking at it and say, well, why can't I create a digital twin of your of your IT enterprise? You know, why can't I have a digital twin of your data center, right? And this way I could have a place that, you know, you want to test patching, you want to do this, I could run it over there. You know, yes, it takes more time, but we're, you know, in today's environment with the resources that are available to us, it's a lot easier than it was, you know, 20 years ago. BCF, part of that stack, and if the yeah. customer has adopted that, easy enough to replicate that over to a site, whether it's on customers on-premise deployment yep. or through a, a DRAS provider or even one of the hyperscalers. Yep. And, you know, and then, you know, the other thing, like I said, with this current client and we're talking about NSX in general, you know, one of the challenges is they still have bare metal, right? So we have to kind of figure out how do we handle that? And they still, and they do have a bunch of cloud native virtual machines, which are like, okay, how do we handle that? You know, and I know VMware is kind of looking at a couple of things. You know, one of the things was looking at NSX gateway as a potential uh, component in that mix, but, you know, you know, like I said, the platform, now that we're talking about NSX Plus, you know, becoming a broader platform, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to see a little more envelopment of those. You know, we, we, we all think that, you know, bare metal is gone, but, 
you know, the, the joke is I keep running into mainframes and I, I could have sworn that, uh, you know, 20 years ago, they told me it was dead, <laughs> you know, but, but I had it less Especially than a year ago. It, I was working with a client. <laughs> the Fed and, and high sec um, markets, I, I would absolutely think that there would be a, a mandatory requirement where you're moving the hypervisor out of that situation. You, yeah, Custom you develop yeah. OSs. Sure. I, I, yeah, we did work with a major critical infrastructure client who was trying to get rid of their mainframes and go all cloud. And uh, let's just say they abandoned the project after, I think it was three years of work on it. Now, you know, there's many reasons for that. But, you know, I, I tend to say, you know, you see things move. You know, who's going to pay to refactor an application that they're currently running and making money with? Right. There's no business that really wants to do that. You know, new I can see. But, you know, the install base, you know, most of the clients I work with, they're still in the high 80s, 90s of, of, of uh, you know, their platforms running on prem or in a colo. Uh, you know, some of them I've seen now moving into like the VMware cloud environment. But, you know, the, what I see going more into cloud native is more kind of new, new applications. Right. You know, and, you know, and but they, you know, it's funny how we recreate some of the problems we had in the past. Right. You're 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 you have a separate group, your cloud group dealing with cloud. And lo and behold, they don't they haven't learned the history of some of the things that you need to know about. And then, you know, the other part is, are they doing the right security or even infrastructure? So, you know, I, I see, a, a, you know, it's it's always gonna be omnipresent. So having some capabilities, which I think were shared with me on the, with, with VMware kind of roadmap is being able to get into those spaces and bring it to that unified platform. Because I think like the NSX intelligence and the ARIAs, those are what are gonna quickly help you do the application um, you know, to do that whole application characterization piece, right? You know, I, ideally, I'd love to see it happen before the application gets deployed, but, you know, you don't have testing teams like you did in the past, right? Things used to have to go through labs and staging and so forth. And a lot of times now with CICD and other, yeah, it's crazy. So, so we are, we are coming yeah. up to the top of the hour and a couple of shout outs I want to do. If you're interested in learning more about what Booz Allen does, uh, you can go to boozallen.com, B-O-O-Z-A-L-L-E-N.com. And they have a slash market slash commercial dash solutions.html. Go there, read about their commercial solutions and what they have to offer. So to, Thor, I appreciate you coming on and uh, taking us on a deep dive. I also want to do a shout out to, who do I want to do a shout out to? Oh no, let's see. Uh, Bob, Bob Goldson, he came on and uh, he recommended Thor. Uh, and so we brought Thor on because of Bob. So shout out to Bob for doing that. Uh, Thor, um, any other things that uh, you think you need to communicate to our audience around what's coming up, what they should be thinking about, obviously NSX area, that kind of stuff. Any last words before we talk to you about barbecue? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're seeing much more sophisticated attackers out there, you know, so they're leveraging, you know, things that people haven't been thinking of in the past. And of course, we always have the ongoing discovery of, you know, new zero days and existing code. So, you know, I think to me, the the whole discussion around zero trust, people get very, you know, it's a, it's an opinion. It's a very, it's a space that people have many opinions about, you know, think of it as a framework versus a product you know, and look at how the products that VMware is providing can really support you and, and, you know, provide you quick uh, buy down. So that, that's an area that I, you know, I'm trying to get, you know, more communications across that, you know, you have things 
use them, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and that's the part that's always challenging. And then uh, I guess last but not least is, you know, it, when you look at zero trust in general, it's a it's an all of the company effort, right? You know, you can't have a single group doing zero trust and everybody else doing whatever they're doing. It's really getting that horizontal view across your organization and getting everybody to be rowing in that same direction. So, you know, hopefully that, you know, helps a little bit, but, uh, you know, and Booz Allen, like I said, we, we do a lot of stuff, uh, you know, we're cyber focused and, uh, you know, we'd love to talk to you or, you know, help you out if, if at all possible. So, uh, last bit here, uh, V barbecue. So first or where are, what region are you, do you work out of? I think you said North Carolina or somewhere, somewhere in this. Yeah. I'm, I'm in North Carolina, you okay. know, I'm a, tra- I'm, you know, what they call a damn Yankee, uh, you know, the, you know, the difference between a damn Yankee and a Yankee is the Yankee uh, comes down and then leaves the damn Yankee stays. stays but, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> but, but I, but I say, Hey, you know, having been born in Trinidad, I'm, you know, further South than most people. So <laughs> there you go. But yeah, North Carolina known for, you know, uh, two different types of barbecue, their pork and uh, their pork uh, vinegar and, uh, and uh, ketchup based, I guess, are the two different uh, uh, barbecues. But, you know, being that my father was Texan, you know, I, I do like my beef. So I do like, you know, beef pork, uh, barbecue, but, you know, definitely a barbecue fan, right? I did, I, I uh, eat them all. <laughs> I, I did some tri-tip and I did a bake-off. Uh, Matt would appreciate this. I did pellet on, uh, on uh, and, you know, on the, on the pellet feeder, uh, on the, I forget. Oh, the name. it worked this time. Yeah, and it, yeah, it worked fine. And then I also oh. did Kingsford charcoal. How, how long was the prep on that? No, none, zero. No, no, you just, oh, no, okay. no, just put it in, uh, and and did the did the pellet, uh, and then I did also did charcoal, right? And I did King Kingsford charcoal. So I did two tri uh, tips, and then we did taste offs. And everybody liked the Traeger. Like everybody liked the smoke you know, tri-tip. So there you go. Beef uh, smoked. And it, it is true. The smoky flavor just outwins the charcoal. Right. And so, you know, there you go, Matt, we're, we're going to definitely get you one of these, one of these days, you know, we're, we're coming yeah, up on podcast I'm, number I'm six. Sure five. that you have 20 hours into that entire experiment yeah. across the weekend. Six, five, nine, our podcast. I was thinking like when we get to six, 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 I think that's the time to send you your Traeger, right? When we're, you know, like, that, that, that'll be the perfect, perfect show number. Um, all right. Well, that's all we got for today. Thanks a lot for everybody listening. Every week, Wednesday, 12 to 1, we produce our podcast. We're again be back again next week. Looking forward to those in Europe who are listening, want to go to explore Europe. I would definitely sign up. The event team was rocking. November 6th through 9th. November, November 6th through 9th. We'll 6th see you through 9th. Barcelona. All right. With that, we're out. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.